Welcome to a very special Retail Flyer Forum edition of The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. Recorded live on the main stage at the Carlu in Toronto during RCC's annual Retail Flyer Forum, my one-to-one interview with the one and only Patrick Dickinson, retail consultant and veteran retail marketer, most recently with Hudson's Bay. We talk about how and why the Retail Flyer in both paper and digital is such a resilient media and significant element to the marketing mix in Canada, and delve into what retailers need to be thinking about each week to make it an effective and measurable tool and drive ROI. First, we set the stage with an exclusive interview recorded live from Dublin with Jerry Canelli, founder and CEO of Tweak. I met Jerry recently, my most excellent retail tech tour in Ireland, along with a number of other innovative solution providers, and was really impressed with the approach to solving a familiar set of challenges and opportunities in the printed media and well beyond. So let's start now listening to my interview with Jerry from Tweak, then Tweak's Shane Cochran introduces myself and Patrick for our fireside chat. Jerry, welcome to The Voice of Retail. How are you doing today? Fantastic, Michael. Fantastic. Such a small world, literally and figuratively. You and I met uh, in Waterford, just outside of, uh, of Dublin, on a great tour of Irish tech. And, and uh, it was a great meeting. And we thought, well, let's, let's continue that conversation. So I'm really happy uh, that you made some time to uh, chat with The Voice of Retail. I want to really delve into your product and, and uh, also your insights into the into the environment, even more importantly, in some ways, just to get a, a sense of what you're hearing and and what white space that you've you've addressed. But why don't we start out with telling us a little bit about yourself? You've got a great uh, personal and professional journey that kind of intersect in what you're doing today. But tell us a little bit about yourself and and your role at uh, at Tweak. Sure. Well, I grew up in a publishing family in Tralee in County Kerry on the southwest coast of Ireland, and uh, together with my three brothers and my parents. Uh, we started a weekly um, newspaper in 1974 when I was just 14. Um, so along the road, I worked as a photojournalist, uh, a radio broadcaster, a digital a digital prepress uh, entrepreneur, um, before launching uh, the first European digital stock photography company, Stockbite, in back in 1996. So you really have been on the front line. And the leading edge of, of what now is is kind of stock photography. And in fact, you shared with me a, a book, uh, Eyewitness, that uh, had some amazing pictures from from, from Ireland. And I think that that's a, a family connection, right? That that had that book and that continued where you are today, in in a manner of speaking. Yeah, that's right. That's the work of my parents, Patrick and Joan. They were photojournalists, and they captured very stark black and white images of Ireland mm. from uh, the 1950s through to the 1970s. But I, I guess in Stockbite, we were uh, we became the largest producer of creative content in f- photographic images in the world for about a decade or so. Uh, mm. We were shooting uh, our imagery on location all over Europe, North America, and Africa, and um, we we had become the largest creative contributor uh, to Getty Images with 130 other partners in 70 countries, and. Um, then uh, we could see the, the industry was changing, and uh, so uh, I decided to auction the business in 2006, and two of our customers were among the top bidders, Bill Gates of Corbus and uh, Getty Images. And on this occasion, Getty beat Gates uh, with a knockout punch of $135 million. From those beginnings, I guess, all the way back to when you were 14, you, I want to un- understand what you're hearing in the industry that set you on your path today with tweak and and what what is it that you you perceived or what you were hearing that was that was missing that um, 
that retailers and other other restaurants and all kinds of businesses were looking for that they couldn't find? What what is that kind of white space that you uh, you discovered? Great. So I suppose uh, you know when uh, in two thousand and eight when I started Tweak, uh, I looked back to my own career and saw where I started with. Uh, paper-based uh, uh, publishing and then moving on to desktop publishing when the Macintosh came out. And, uh, you know, I thought it really hadn't moved on with the times. It was, it was still a very complex business that required a lot of skills. So I thought it would be great to, to make uh, design, uh, to democratize design and make it really easy for normal people to use. Uh, that doesn't rule out the, the the designer, of course. You've got to start with great creativity and design, but the execution mm-hmm. of design is a different matter. And we had a dream uh, when you started Tweak uh, that we would have a simple web-based interface and allow uh, ordinary people without any skills or special software to be able to customize design in, in minutes. So it was really, um, and when you and I talked about the concept, uh, and when Shane was here in Toronto, we actually had the opportunity, as, as listeners uh, will hear, introduced me at uh, the Flower Forum in my interview with Patrick. And um, really, it was, it, it, you know, from a, a use case perspective, if we can put it that way, um, I was thinking about franchisees who are, are business professionals. They're not professional designers necessarily, but need a solution that both satisfies, it feels, their requirements for speed and, and execution, but also the brand side, right? And that's, that feels like what Tweak is, is trying to address, right? That square that circle of how do I get something in the field done well, don't necessarily have professions, but to a professional standard. Am I am I kind of getting that right? Exactly. What uh, you know, our goal is to uh, make uh, make re- uh, the opportunity for retailers to to create marketing materials at scale for print and digital, and instead of waiting weeks for lead times, that they can do that in minutes, uh, and that's what we've managed to do. So, walk me through how the the tool works. Is that you know, a picture tells a thousand stories, as you would as you would know, but to the to the degree that you can, um, help my listeners help me get our heads around what you're talking about. Because, you know, being able to produce a flyer, that can be done in market. You can produce a flyer on a desktop with some stock photography that you can subscribe to. So that's, that's something accessible. But what's different about the solution you're offering that, that takes it to a different level? Uh, so we created the concept of the two-minute flyer to illustrate how smart templates uh, can be connected to services like Nielsen Brand Bank and retailers' own image libraries and data warehouses mm-hmm. uh, so that you've got a single source of truth for the data. So instead of uh, people manually making uh, selections uh, in a, an application like Adobe InDesign, uh, you can have all those connected. And simply by reading a barcode on a product, uh, all of the imagery and information about that product automatically pops onto the page. So it doesn't require any great amount of skill. Uh, it hugely reduces the potential for error, and it makes everything a lot faster. And I guess that the real challenge for retailers is to is to respond quickly, to be able to produce marketing materials at the speed of light. Uh, and uh, you know the, the problem of, of inventory in local in locations uh, that are dispersed mm-hmm. uh, is a real challenge. So if somebody's got excess inventory of a particular item, they can instantly create a piece of marketing uh, for point of sale or advertising or for digital or social, uh, and they can do that literally in minutes. And that's what's that's what makes it so powerful uh, to help, to give retailers the uh, the kind of uh, technology that they need to to run their businesses. 
So it's the the brand owner gets what they want at, at headquarters, which is they would like for all the images to be kind of the same. So they keep uh, what they like to see as brand integrity and, and professionalism. But then, as you said, I can, you know, worked in myself and in retailers where you've got franchisees that have, as you said, too much of one inventory. And that could be different for a different franchisee, but still they can access is, is what I'm hearing. They can access the right images and put into the right approved template in a matter of minutes. And then they kind of take that file and get it printed at a, at a print shop or whatever, right? Is that again, a fair exactly. assessment? So, mm. Exactly. That, 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 that's it, Michael. So the, the, the templates are locked down. So the brand, uh, the brand guidelines are always complied with. And it literally takes a second from the moment you put a barcode in, all of those details appear. So, uh, you know, with a few minutes, you could have a 12 or, or a 16 product, uh, flyer, uh, created and ready to go. And, that can either be approved and printed centrally or printed locally or posted to social media. So that, mm, that deals mm. with that real, that really difficult challenge. So I guess the other uh, side of that coin, so to speak, is um, templates, right? So if you don't, if you're a, a smaller enterprise or mid-sized enterprise, you can find a template and create your own imagery by pulling down kind of approved stock. So am I under, because I know I was, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine who, who pulled some imagery off Google and he wound up getting sued for it because the, the photographer was out there scanning for imagery used without permission. But it sounds like you solved that problem too, right? So that whenever you go out to get imagery in some of your stock that it's approved and you've paid a licensing fee and all that's covered. Is that, is that accurate that's, as well? That ab- absolutely. So we've got a, mm. a whole library of, of real premium stock photography. Uh, we work with licensees of Nielsen brand bank, uh, one of the biggest, uh, libraries of, uh, of, uh, inventory for retail in the world. Uh, and of course, uh, some, uh, a lot of people will have their own, their own inventory of imagery. So we sure. can, we sure. can integrate all those together and make it, have it seamless in the background. Uh, people at a retail level don't need to be concerned about those technical matters. Uh, our business is making the complex simple, uh, and that's that, that's what's worked for our customers to date. As I said, I was speaking to my friend who used an image on his web page, and and you know didn't you know a very small initiative, but these crawlers out there are finding the code and finding those images. So I think that's are you finding that as well in in when you talk to C level executives that they're more concerned about that happening in the field. And they want to make sure it's all locked down one way or the other. Our images or whatever images, but let's make sure we're we're covered off in terms of the licensing. Exactly, and, I, and no organization wants to be associated with that sort of brand damage. And I guess mm. it's, uh, you know, from, from either a design point of view or from images. I mean, but. People at a local level, operators uh, in, in local markets need to be able to have flexible materials. So sometimes uh, if, there, if there's nothing to support them, uh, they will go rogue and they will break <laughs> the brand guidelines, licensing guidelines, and it could cost organizations a hell of a lot of money and their reputation. So you're relatively new in the Canadian market, but uh, you already have uh, some, some retailers and other uh, businesses you work for. Who are some of the folks that are using your your product in uh, in Europe today? Yeah, so there's a chain uh, called a hardware chain called Expert Hardware, and they were having a real challenge achieving on brand point of sale and marketing materials across their franchise network. And so we connected to their library of brand, of brand images, uh, their data, and their pricing, and that allowed their franchisees to instantly create what they needed on brand point of sale materials, flyers, shelf talkers, social media posts, and more literally within that two-minute window. Mm. That means they had the flexibility to promote promote the inventory that they needed to move in their stores. And in their very first year, they reported that they saved 5,000 hours of franchisee time. 
by using Tweak. And that's something that me and my team are really ha- proud of and really happy wow. for them. That's great. So what's what's next? So give me just before I go, kind of last question. I always like to like to ask what's what's next in the pipeline. What do you see down the road? You've clearly been a visionary uh, for many years, but five years out, if we were having this conversation, what would you what would you see Tweak doing, or or what's next? Is it is it scale? Is it scope? What, what do you think? It's always going to be scale, and I think uh, you know the, the the world of marketing is becoming a very personalized one. So uh, everybody's got a huge amount of data uh, about customers and about products, and we're going to help them visualize that for digi- for digital marketing and for and for print marketing to allow them to create personal uh, personal advertising uh, for those particular customers, whether the platform is WhatsApp or Instagram or or Twitter or other forms mm-hmm. of social media and marketing platforms that will emerge uh, we're going to be there with our customers making sure that we are democratizing design well i think you're really on to something particularly the social media elements which which um in this conversation i i was thinking you know pragmatically i was thinking about print flyers and circulars but creating that brand right imagery for social media is uh, fantastic well in one way you're a startup but you're you're, you're well established you're more more like to say you're starting up here in canada so Let's talk about how people can learn more and uh, and get in touch with you. Well, the, the, our head of retail is a guy called Shane Corcoran. He was a retail manager for Tesco uh, for many years himself. And uh, Shane heads up this this part of the business. So he'd be delighted to speak uh, to any of your listeners. Uh, his email is shane at tweak.com. And our website yep. is, is tweak.com, T-W-E-A-K.com. Jerry, thanks so much for making time to uh, chat with The Voice of Retail. It's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you again, and uh, I wish you all the best and, uh, and having a, a wonderful week ahead. Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, I better do what I was asked to do, so what I'd like to do is introduce Michael, who's on stage, um, and also retail industry expert Patrick Dickinson. Uh, to discuss how retailers constantly adjust against expectations and continue to move forward uh, in the evolution of retail flyer marketing. Thank you. Patrick. Patrick. Michael. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, it's great to see you. Uh, so this uh, interview will actually be uh, recorded uh, for the Voice of Retail podcast. Of course. Of so course. everyone, let's have a cheer for the Voice of Retail Content. podcast. Con- Please. <laughs> all right. You are now officially on uh, the Voice of Retail podcast, so you can all look forward to listening to that in the days, uh, in the days ahead. So, Patrick, welcome. Uh, we don't have a lot of time together. I'd love mm-hmm. to spend, it takes a half hour for you and I just to catch up. We've <laughs> yes. known each other for quite a while, so let's just jump right in. You know, I was watching The Matrix last night as I was kind of preparing it in the mm-hmm. background, and, and I thought kind of it was somewhat apropos. So let's take the red pill and go down and see how, how far the, the, the retail flyer rabbit hole goes. You know, when, it, it, when I think of the flyer and its relevance, it's been so resilient over these decades, many decades, and it, it still feels relevant to both consumers and to the business alike. I mean, it feels like to this day, merchants come out and their first words as the, as their you know the first words they can speak is position in the flyer. I want mm-hmm. you know I want to mm-hmm. be in the circular. Yeah. So what do you think is is giving it that kind of relevancy and? and power. Well, you know, it's funny because you're right. Resilience is kind of the, the, the word I would ascribe to the, to the industry and certainly the printed piece of the industry. Mm-hmm. And that is probably counterintuitive to what we thought years ago mm-hmm. because we, with the advent of digital, digital was supposed to be so, mar- so measurable 
and able to deliver such great um, measurements in terms of the returns by click, right. by last click, by the path to purchase. Whereas the flyer, we were just printing millions and millions of them and throwing them out into the marketplace and no one knew what happened. Well, the irony is that the industry really became much better at measuring mm. the impact of the flyer. And it really also became the merger of the media, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, when I talk about flyer and when we talk about flyer today, we're really, you know, we're, we're somewhat media agnostic from a, from a digital imprint. They've each got their own characteristics, but really the, the media itself is, is really well, quite I mean, powerful. Well, right? to begin the whole journey, I think that you, you have to understand the flyer is there to service a mid-low or high-low pricing strategy. Um, there aren't, you know, as many of those as there used to be, but there's still lots of them. All, you know, all, all mass merchants, all the grocers, everybody still has a cluster of goods that are seasonally appropriate that they are going to promote at a lower than regular price. That is a fairly expensive pricing model to, to you know, for for us marketers to service. It demands that you need a vehicle to gather all, aggregate those offers together and somehow let people know that that's your best offer on those. So as long as the mid-low, high-low pricing model exists in the country, mm. you're gonna have to have, whether it be printed or digital, you're gonna have to have a place where you can gather those offers together and present them to customers and allow them to make their decision about where ultimately they're gonna make their shopping trip. So, you know, that, that became, that was like an ongoing thing. The, the digital to print was, surprise, surprise, Print became more measurable, right. more directed, more targeted. So it didn't stand still. It did it, not stand still, and it and it did not because it wasn't a monolith that was so easy to sort of chip away at, as right. it turns out. Well, and it's interesting because we, we think back, reflect back to the beginning of our careers. It was really a marketing triad, right? You had your mass media, mm -hmm. you had direct marketing, and then you had the flyers. And really, you know, I'm seeing less mass medias, but it kind of moves all over. The flyers still still very relevant. But let's touch on accountability for. For a while, mm -hmm. uh, you've brought that up a couple of times. I mean, that's always been the knock, mm -hmm. or historically had been the knock. It's no longer, I don't think, true that the print flyers have been kind of the one third, one third, one third math, right? Mm -hmm. Third get read, a third get browsed, and a third wind up in the in recycling. But that's that's changing more so now than ever, right? In terms of measurability. Absolutely. I mean, and and you know, th this this transition from print to digital, mm -hmm. which is uh, the the kind of holy grail, is can you get the digital version of the flyer to the person who likes to read digital? Can you get the print version of the flyer to the person who likes that, that old print uh, feel? And they, may, and they may be the same person. They might be the same person, but the ideal is you get one-to-one -one and one-to-one -one and you don't overlap. Right. So you don't give the digitally driven guy a paper one. You don't give a, uh, the digital version to someone who gets their information through the paper version. Unfortunately, you know, the customers have decided not to live that way neighborhood by neighborhood <laughs> all over Canada, but that they would. If we could organize them. If we could way. organize them Let's and have them by, you know, by uh, yeah. postal code arrange themselves in print and digital, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, affluence, then we'd be in a great spot. But that's what we're trying to do is to unlock where where where's the individual and we're not at the individual level yet necessarily with the printed flyer digital will say we are with digital yeah. but again it's that overlap of where's the wastage in both right where's the inefficiency and i guess yeah. that gets to roi right so would you say that retailers on the whole are getting 
better at understanding the ROI of their flyers. I mean, it's a massive expense, again, whether, uh, whether print or digital. It is a significant component of that expense. More so now, I guess, mm -hmm. that there's less mass media being mm -hmm. uh, in the market. I remember when we were at the Bay, there was you know, mm -hmm. Bob Peters doing his uh, yeah. Celine Dion ad still, <laughs> uh, a little before us, not to date us too, too far back. But that's more or less kind of moved on. Right? Uh, well, and it's because so much of the budgets have actually been eaten up by digital. So in order to compete in that digital, which, which is both, you know, you can argue there's a branding component, there is a sure. top of funnel component to digital, yep. but obviously where the Googles and the Facebooks and Instagrams are making their money is more towards the bottom of the funnel where, you know, obviously an interested search and you're going to pay an extra amount for that and hope to get the, the follow through onto a purchase. So as that piece of the pie has grown, it's really pressured both sides of the traditional media. Mm. The print on the bottom and that traditional branding piece on the top, both of those have shrunk radically in order to fund where you have to be, which is on our little, our little screens. Right, right. Um, well, let's talk about, continue down that path of trying to figure out productivity and ROIs. Have we reached a point of diminishing returns? I know there's pressure on all sides, make it more productive and do it more cost effectively. And the two can balance each other off, right? If, you, if you're able to measure, then you can spend a little more, spend a little less yeah. and kind of justify. But it, 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 are we at the point of diminishing returns? Or, no, or are you seeing retailers still, still thinking broadly about how to, how to do this? Well, you know, this comes back to that kind of, you know, the media mix modeling. What's, yeah. what's, the, ultimate, what's the optimal channel mix to get your, your uh, message out to consumers? And I would, I would guess that most of your national retailers have, an, if you're seeing it, if you're seeing them use that media, they have a metric that says it pays back. So in answer to your question, absolutely yes. I think that in terms of all medias that are in the market are supporting themselves with an absolute sales number that makes sense, both from an absolute number and a marginal standpoint. Mm. Um, now the question becomes, the pressure is on all of those medias, and you kind of end up putting them all in a horse race against each other. Hmm. So is your promotional radio as effective as your flyer? They all return above cost. They all are deriving a good return on the investment. And would you say retailers are applying that same rigor to measuring radio and measuring other media? I, or? I would say absolutely. Right. And I would say that they're, most of them are lining them up in that kind of horse race scenario where it's like, you know, this is a four to one, we can get a 20 to one over here. Now, those, those charts used to look a lot different. There used to be a, wow, you're underinvested in digital. Okay, well, okay, so we'll get that, we'll get that. The one that's really come back down to earth is in fact the digital because in the early days of digital, it's like you can't spend enough in digital. Mm. You just got to spend more. You got to spend more. And that's what really rated the flyer and, and television and branding and all, some of those big messages. And when we talk digital, we're talking, you know, we're talking Everything. search. We're search, talking search and affiliate and remarketing, all of the, you know, which all have their own buckets to spend against them. Sure. They're servicing your own email database and what you've got to do there in terms of closing sales and recontacting some of those people. So there's... You know, there are chunks of money, there's buckets of money inside digital, all of which have grown exponentially. But the good news is all of those individual things that it, we mentioned, SEO search, uh, conquesting, whether you want to go into uh, how, how much you want to go into affiliates and how often and mm. what, what discount you want to offer, all of those now have discrete measurements against them. And lo and behold, the flyer 
measures up. Otherwise, it would be gone. Right. So it's a simple Darwinian it calculation. Is very Darwinian. I mean, I mean, there's still some emotion connected mm-hmm. to flyers. There certainly is in the buying group. When we talk to our colleagues in the buying group, it's, that's mm-hmm. a difficult discussion on any given day yep. to tell them they're not getting space in the flyer or yep. they think they, you know, rightfully well, so. Well, and, and quite often, you know, the flyer is still a template that drives that mid-low pricing machine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for an in, for internally for a retailer, if the buyer knows that his socks are going to be featured that week in the flyer, you know, he, he has a certain amount of assurance that it's going to flow through now into all sorts of other aspects of the brand's approach to the market on that week. It's, it's going to be supported, supported in digital. It's going to be supported there mm-hmm. because... We, the marketers, have now spent some money on creatively shooting that product, getting it set up. It's been in that kind of whatever cycle, you know, whether it's a nine-week or a four-week production cycle. So right. the kind of the company is understands that that is the promotional footing that it's going to be on, and the flyer does still, to a certain degree, set that agenda. So it's both strategic and, and tactical, and and on stages like this around flyer events, we've talked about that, that it has a much broader role than mm-hmm. itself as a media. It actually is a, um, an amalgamator. It, it sets, pri- it, it, in a way, it sets priorities. It, it, what it does is it gives rigor to that mid-low pricing strategy. Mm. It essentially, because of the, the, you know, you can call it the flyer itself, but it's also it's confirming what your promotional approach is going to be in that week, comprised of all of those grassroots offers. And I mean, from a marketing standpoint in retail, the marketing guy is kind of the sales guy because we're beholden back to the company to say, yes, given what has been submitted and what we've chosen with all of our good analytics, that bubbles up to the sales dollars that we need to hit in that week. Right. So it does form that kind of rigor of are we prepped in the correct way to go to market in that week? And the flyer, the collection of the offers that represent the flyer, whether it be digital or print, that really is your sort of, that's your check mark that, yes, we are where we need to be pricing product-wise. Yeah, that's an interesting point, that last point, the product-wise. It's not all items are in there as a price offer, right? Some products are in there, whether product launch or a, mm-hmm. a flagship offer. I can think of brands who put items in the flyer because they just want profile or launch that product. Still a relevant mechanism for that, right? Uh, it, uh, there's readership there, is absolutely. Yeah. So again, you may choose to drive new product launches or introductions differently in terms of the balance between digital and print. Right. Print being a little more static, a lot more static, obviously, you have more dynamism in digital when it comes to things like that because you can coordinate with your social media feeds. You can coordinate with an influencer campaign. So there's a lot of other things that you can do on the digital side. Doesn't mean you won't put it in the print flyer, but there's a lot more dynamism for newsworthy stories in the other medias. Because the other thing about a print flyer is there's an absolute in terms of space. Right. Which gets into the kind of efficiency of that next phase of flyer, which isn't the planning part. It's the actual getting that sucker printed. Well, I guess then that gets to the uh, couple things I want to circle back on. Let's, let's talk about measurement for a bit. And, and not everyone has, uh, in the room perhaps, not everyone has the, the assets or, the, or the, the wherewithal to do as comprehensive measurement as, as national retailers do. Some are more local, some are smaller. What are you seeing in terms of best practices in terms of how 
you're measuring the incremental lift. We, you know, in our time together, we spent a lot of time talking about incremental lift because mm-hmm. we know, you know, trading dollars in, in old scratch and save bay days hey. uh, and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> on the tactic, not the yeah. event. I love the event. Um, but in terms of in, in terms of trading dollars, um, how are you seeing that that kind of measurement that's saying, as you said, it must be making us money incrementally because the organization keeps keeps it on board. But what are the best practices you're seeing across for, the board? For the small, you know, if you don't have the national footprint and the, and the wherewithal in terms of analytics and some of those things, then, you know, it's back to basics in terms of trial, test, pilot. And, you know, you, you, you have to make sure that when you go to the trouble of producing something that is printed and distributed, that it is in and of itself measurable. So you want to put content in there that is unique to that fire. It's, if you're going to offer two-for-one pizzas every day of the week and you just go and say, we have two-for-one pizzas, you'll never know if you've got mm. any kind of incrementality. You need to put an offer into those vehicles, which is going to come back to you as a measurable outcome of that activity. So... Now, that can be changed up by region, by time of year, by type of offer, but for sure you want to imbue that with a unique piece of content, which you're going to recognize. And then it's a question of test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the best way to do it. If, you're not, if you don't have the wherewithal to get into the, you know, most of the national retailers are, it's big data, it's machine learning. You're, you're utilizing algorithms that tell you that, this, in fact, is the absolute correct offer at this level of discount or pricing for this week. Mm-hmm. And it, it should return for you X. So, and that's based on, you know, skew level data going back two or three years. This is a big, big crunching you sure, know, sure. data that, that is spitting out those kind of things. If you're not going to do that, then you've got to make sure you've got something unique that the customer, you think the customer is going to respond to, yeah. then measure the response. And we have seen that big data go south on some retailers where they trust the machine a little too much. Absolutely. I guess it's still the art and science of being a great merchant of the great marketer. Well, you need to, it's, 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 the diff, it's, it's that efficiency versus inspiration. I think, you mm-hmm. know, that, that we, we, we get into these efficiency cycles, you know, the, the Darwinian horse race of all of your channels lined up with their returns right. and saying, you know, boy, boy, I'm, I'm optimized. I'm now fully optimized. You can't lose sight of the fact that customers do still want inspiration. They do still want newness. Uh, they want novelty. They want experience. There's they still lot. can shop on impulse. They can, still, they can still shop on impulse, and they can still, you can still pique their curiosity by changing your messaging a little bit, giving mm. them something that is unexpected from you. So there, you know, that is that kind of returning to the brand piece right. of marketing, which is, you know, if if you reduce everything to that efficiency model, we will eventually all be saying exactly the same thing. Mm. So you, you have to, and then you're competing on efficiency, and we know that there's and scale some, will scale some will global win. retailers who are very good at that. Absolutely. And it yeah. may not be the best to play in exactly that game. Yeah. It's an interesting point. Um, let's talk about you know, this, this idea that, that flyers are a business of scale, really. And, and what advice can you give to the folks in the audience about how to address you know, optimizing that mix? You've talked, we've talked about it over the course of the past half an hour, but you know, if you could distill it all down, and again, not everyone has the resources of nationals, but you know, what are those kind of key things? What are those kind of key pieces 
of advice around that? Well, I mean, uh, for sure, it, it, you know, if I were starting out on a new business that, that had never been there before, I think the, the first thing to ask yourself is, do you have to promote? Hmm. Like, it, like, because it, it is a promotional vehicle. There's no getting around that. That's its 95% of its job, despite the fact that there might be newness or a product. Interest. Do you need to promote? And if so, how do you need to promote? Do you need to promote by discounting your product? You may need to, and you may want to, and that's fine. But one, we all know that once you go down that road, a couple of things happen. Number one, you've told the customer that, you know, there are times that you're going to reduce this by 30% or 40% or you're going to get a two-for-one or whatever it is. Do, you, do you, you, you worry about that, that kind of well, the one thing creating it does a is habit it, of, of... Well, it, it creates a habit in the retailer mm. because come next October, end of October, offer. you're going to wonder why... You don't have a big sales lift when it's like, oh, we, we had that deal. Now, for most of the national retailers, you're repeating that a thousand times a week. You know, you're literally looking at, it's the old compitis. You're looking at exactly what you did last year, and you're saying, are we exactly covered? That becomes kind of like the baseline discussion that you start to have. So that's the number one thing to keep in mind if you're just starting out is like, you are starting to build that comp calendar of offers which you will become beholden to over time. So let's make sure we can at least drive what we drove last year. Absolutely. Are we lined up with the same right. media? And, and then, then, the, then the conversation starts. Then, right. the second, then the second piece is, if you're looking for when and where and how, you've got to look at your own business cycle. What is your seasonality? What are your heavy periods? What are the most competitive periods of the year? Who, where regionally are you competing where you think you need that kind of goosing to go on? Do you want to somehow support the low parts of the year? Or do you think that there is more available in the high volume parts of the year? So are you in a share steal situation or are you just worried about your own business and summer's light for you and you need to goose that somehow? So you need to really look at your own business calendar, your own, the seasonality of your sales and decide where it's possible for you to goose that to the extent that it's going to make the investment worthwhile. Right. So final kind of three, four tips for... You're doing flyers today. Mm-hmm. How do you do them better? What, what advice would you have to the, to the folks in the audience around mm-hmm. thinking about whether they're thinking about it differently or whether they're thinking about doing it, doing it better? Well, I, I, I would say that the, because there are, you know, you've got all these verticals now inside flyer production. There's the content and what goes into it, which is all about analysis. And some, some of these are the cost drivers, right? The cost Understanding drivers, Understanding your right? cost drivers. Then there's the creative piece. Yeah. Then there's the printing piece. And then there's the distribution piece. So within those four key areas, one of the biggest drivers of decision-making is print versus digital. So in all of those areas, there's a different impact in those four areas, whether you're going to be eventually going to a print piece of it or whether you're going to be investing in digital. And of course, it could be both, right? You are doing both. It's just, what does that balance look like? And that's not not just treasure, but also time, right? Absolutely. And and it's the time to figure it out. So A, it's look at your four cost drivers and everybody is looking at this nowadays. And, you know, there's people in the room who have different types of solutions for each one of these. So there is a there's a rigorous industry and a very competitive run around each of those four areas. Mm. And many of the suppliers out in the market today, obviously, they may have started with a strength in one of those areas and they're broadening into the other ones. So uh, the printers will do your distribution. The creative guys will do your digital uh, execution. So, you know, 
the, you're seeing the consolidation happen, but it's by those kind of bedrock areas of cost expense in the industry. So one of my pieces of advice would be, if you're not sure, you, there's lots of help out there. Right. There's lots of, um, you know, there's lots of suppliers, there's lots of vendors who will take a look on it, and you can do this on a piecemeal basis. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, sign a five-year contract to come in and, and, and look at, A, the four cost areas where there might be some efficiency and effectiveness gains, and B, how do you construct that that puts together those four pieces of the puzzle in a way that makes it profitable for you? Because at the end of the day, you know, the game is about profit, and we talked about incrementality of revenue. Incrementality of margin is another piece of that puzzle because, mm. you know, if you're just out there giving product away at less than cost, that, that, that's not fair. You're, that doesn't count for a sales increase. Right. That's a little bit of a cheat. That's a bit of a cheat. Um, you know, it's just to kind of wrap us up, it, what have changes have you seen, the most change you've seen in, in the course of your career on those four key elements? There's been a tremendous amount of change in the industry in general. But when, but when you think of where there's been a lot of change and where there, I guess the, the follow-on question is, where do you expect the most change to continue to happen? Um, I think it's, it really, in my opinion, it is the circular, cyclical nature of how those four work together. So, you know, it used to be, in our day, like, the, the, the flyer went out, the sales came in, somebody, Jimmy, make a note of that. <laughs> like, let's, let's remember that for next year. So, like, that, that was kind of, like, it, it literally was a, almost a personal responsibility of people in the organization to remember what worked. Right. Now, the ability, like, the, once the flyer is in the market, that's almost the beginning. Hmm. And if you're really on top of your game, you, you want the release of the flyer to the market to be the beginning of the process. Huh. And it didn't used to be. Because the begin, that, that piece is really the one you want to tear apart. Because that's got to then come back in and inform that content generation and the analysis in terms of what worked and what didn't. So whereas it used to be the straight line was you started on the flyer, you produced, you printed, you distributed, sales came, people were happy or unhappy. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Like, what are we doing next? Now, the, the, the ability of internal teams and external uh, suppliers to take that information, what exactly happened precisely, which we can look at by offer, we can look at by product, we can look at by neighborhood, we can look at by, uh, you know, like any one of a number of different metrics that then feeds back in to that planning process. And that is really the ideal. You want that, you want that analysis and in-market uh, performance of the piece to come back around and feed the inputs that generate the flyer from conception. And ideally, you know, you almost want a flyer that is run by the marketing department. You almost want a flyer that says, we have more knowledge than the merchant, so this works. Merchants, here's the flyer. All these offers need to be populated. Hmm. But we, it, we need this one here, that one there, this one there, that one there. It's almost a, it, it, it's from a, you, you turn it, Sort of from a, a call response into a no, no, no. It's this is what makes right. a customer-driven flyer. Yeah. Is let's use the metrics to do that. Fascinating. Well, um, listen, it's been a real treat spending some time on the stage with you here, delving into uh, your experience. And uh, on behalf of everyone, I thank you for your contribution. Thank you, thank you Patrick.
Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this very special Retail Flyer Forum edition of The Voice of Retail. Thanks to Jerry and Patrick for being my guests on this special edition. And if you like this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple, iTunes, or your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review and be sure and recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc and Company, Inc. You can learn more about me on www.emmyleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great week.